Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. I'm going to ask you to go with me to the book of John chapter 6, verse 14. John chapter 6 and verse 14, and we'll read one scripture this morning for our opening text. Uh, we're in a, our series, and the series is titled The Bread of Life, but this particular lesson that we're going to study today is entitled Feeding a City with a Sack Lunch. Feeding a City with a Sack Lunch, and I think most of us would know what that title is referring to in the Bible, where Jesus multiplied the fishes and the loaves to feed the crowd that was gathered there by the sea that day. And so let's just take a few moments today and we will uh, take a journey through the scripture and see what the Lord will give us. John 6 and 14, Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of truth, that prophet that would come into the world. You know, one of the greatest uh, things about God is that he provides for us out of his compassion for us. In other words, he, he sees us, he sees what we need, and it's from that need that he'll provide for us. And so it's important for us to worship God for who he is and not just what he does. And I'm thankful for all that he's done for me and all that he might do for me in the future. But I don't want to ever allow myself to get hung up on the notion that if he doesn't do something for me, then I'm not going to worship him. I love the song they sing that says, if you never do anything else, you've already done enough. And he, he's done enough in my life. And I've, I've made up my mind that if he chooses to never do anything else for me, That'll be all right. I, I'm, on a, I'm going to worship him. Have you ever had a, a memorable meal that you've went to? In other words, a nice dinner or something that you was able to attend or fortunate enough to be invited to? Anybody been to a, a, a nice dinner? Jenny and I went to a wedding that was in Disney World many years ago. And uh, it was unbelievable how nice and what I call high class uh, it took place outside in a, a beautiful garden and it tapered off down into a man-made lake and there were flowers and eye sculptures and I can remember the bride when they started playing the music she come in on Cinderella's carriage and there were six white horses pulling him and then when her and the groom got married they they departed and uh, then we convened to a ballroom and there was a meal like I had never seen before. Uh, so many plates and knives and forks. and uh, When they served you, they unfolded the napkin for you, and it was a cloth napkin, not a paper towel like I'm used to. 
But uh, have you ever had an experience like that before? It was memorable. You think about it. It was really nice, and the food was excellent. And uh, it was, we was grateful that we had been invited. But it still doesn't top Mama's Cube Steak. <laughs> Rice and tomato gravy, macaroni and cheese, and crackling cornbread. I'll pick that every time over some fancy meal at Disney World. But uh, I want to read you a short story in opening this morning. When the family pulled into the parking lot, they hoped there would be more empty seats inside than there were empty parking spaces outside. The parking lot was packed, and surely the reception hall would be as well. Hoping the host had catered enough for everyone, they walked toward the door and smiled at a few familiar faces, and the greeters offered to take their coats so they would not be in the way or so they wouldn't be dragging the floor off the back of their chairs. The hospitality here was first class. And although the orchestra played softly, the family could still hear the ding of plates and pans from the other side of the, of the closed but off-swinging kitchen door, and they, they couldn't quite smell dinner cooking. But surely, at a place like this, that would not matter. There had to be a gourmet meal being prepared in the kitchen. And as the ushers led them to their seats, they looked around to see the hall was packed with people, just like the parking lot was packed with cars. And they had not eaten for several hours because the father told everyone in the family to save their appetite for tonight because he knew they would eat and they would eat well at this reception. The hosts were abundantly gracious people and they were wealthy and this meal would be one of the best that they would enjoy for some time. So as the servers came by to pour water and tea and coffee, the family munched on the soft mints that were professionally presented in the centerpiece. But that did not appease their hunger. It just made them hungrier. So they could hear quite the commotion coming from the kitchen and a few apron servers rushed out the doors toward the parking lot and they come back inside shaking their heads. They appeared to be looking for something or someone, but they did not find who they were looking for. Eventually, two chefs, complete with their hats and black aprons with pinstripes on them, came out of the kitchen into the reception area with worried looks on their faces. They tried to be discreet, but it was obvious they were counting guests. And what was happening? Did they not plan for this many guests? The family had never been in a setting with so much pomp and circumstance, yet apparently so little preparation. The event center had hosted events before, but never on this scale, and the worry on the faces and in the body language of the chefs and servers was very clear. So one of the servers hurried to the man with the microphone and whispered something to him, and soon all the kitchen staff reassembled back into the kitchen, and the master of the ceremonies announced calmly, dinner is served. And the chef emerged again from the kitchen carrying a stainless serving platter, and he placed it carefully on the food table, and he lifted the dome, and everyone gasped. There was one lonely lunchable on the serving platter and the master, the master of the ceremonies swallowed hard and softly spoke, enjoy. Now wouldn't that be disappointing? It'd be very disappointing. Imagine with me if you will. Close your eyes and think about this really nice dinner that you're about to go to. You've been excited for weeks about going to this dinner. You get all dressed up. You got your very best on. Pair of heavy starch Wrangler 20X jeans. A heavy starch George Strait custom shirt. The shinest belt buckle that you own. You're wearing a leather belt with 
barbed wire design and strategically placed rhinestones on it. Best pair of Austrians boots, Brother Kenny. You got a blazer on that you custom ordered from Shepherds with your name imprinted on the inside of it. And you've topped it off with a 20X resist all black felt cowboy hat. Only to get to this dinner, sit down to a five-star decorated table. You're not sure what piece of silverware to use because there's two forks, two knives, and a spoon. They put two glasses in front of you, one for water, the other for punch, and a cup for coffee. There's a large plate, a medium-sized plate, a bowl, a small plate, a bread plate, and a bowl of water that I thought some people must like to drink out of it, but it's for dipping your fingers in to clean them. High-class dining. How am I going to eat all of this food that's going to be all over these plates? And the maitre d' announces that dinner will be served, and you unroll that fancy napkin that you have set before you, spread it out over your lap because you don't want to get anything on those 20X jeans and that George Drake shirt. The server comes to your table pushing the fancy dinner cart, and you're all excited and you're filled with anticipation. Server's about to take the chrome dome stainless steel off the tray, and then bam, a lunchable box dinner. Five crackers, five little old pieces of square ham, five squares of cheese. To make matters worse, it's one of the lunches with the yucky, the yucky peanut butter cookies instead of Oreos. Now, I'd be disappointed, and I'd feel like the air had been let out of my cells. I mean, you'd have been better off just to stop at the Jiffy store and get a can of Viners, some sardines, and a, and a sleeve of saltine crackers. It would be awful thinking that you're going to experience this amazing dinner, and a lunchable box is what you get. And the story that we're going to study this morning is about a dinner. It's a dinner that Jesus would be a part of, and he, he wasn't going to serve a lunchable dinner. He wouldn't be serving vines and sardines, but he would make the whole crowd filled and satisfied. The story tells us that over 5,000 men gathered on the mountainside to hear what Jesus had to say and what Jesus would do. And there were women, there were wives, there were sisters, there were daughters and children. All came for the words of Jesus and to see the wonders that he would do. This crowd swelled and they could count to around 15,000 people according to some biblical scholars. And they listened as Jesus taught them. And this crowd was hungry for the word of God. And because there had been so long, they were hungry for food as well. The disciples saw that as the people's problem, not, not a Jesus problem. If the crowd wanted to eat, they should go home. But Jesus saw the opportunity as a time to test his followers' faith and raise the crowd's faith. And so Jesus asked Philip, he said, When shall we buy bread that these may eat? And John recorded this miracle in his gospel, adding this footnote for those of us who were not there. And he said, And this he said to prove him. For he himself knew what he would do. So Jesus knew all along before he asked the question what he was about to do here. And he had held back a smile because he knew he was about to multiply a lunchable box to feed a city. Philip just worked the math in his mind and gave Jesus a bottom line number. And he said, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them. That every one of them may take a little. And Philip was very worried. And in today's terms, he was saying, I'm counting thousands of people here, Jesus. Thousands. 
And I did not invite all these people here. How do you know they were coming? We don't, we don't have the money to feed all these people. It would take 200 penny worth, eight months of paychecks just to give everyone a crust of bread. That won't fill anyone up. And 200 penny worth was not much at all in those days. One penny worth would equal about 15 cents. So we're talking about $30, and they didn't even have that. While Philip worried, Jesus grinned, and Andrew answered. In John 6 and 9, Andrew said, There is a lad here which have five barley loaves and two small fishes. Yet John recorded faith filled Andrew's faithless moment, but what are they among so many? Andrew didn't believe that this would even help anything. And so he couldn't even make math, sense of the math and the recipe and the work in his mind. And so if we take our focus off of Philip and Andrew for a moment and we look back at Jesus, we find that he is not at all worried. And I can assure you today that he is not, he is not worried about the problems that we face in our life. He's concerned and he cares, but he's not worried. Have you ever wondered why we worry so much when we know that Jesus is able to meet our needs? I, I get embarrassed and, and ashamed sometimes when I worry and fret about things in my life. Not, not, a, not a want, but a need. And I worry and fret and think, how am I going to manage this? And I so quickly forget how many countless times I have encountered that and Jesus made a way when there was no way. He, he always provided. Sometimes it was in the nick of time, but he was always there. And so the disciples didn't have eight months worth of paycheck stored up, and they had been following Jesus for the last eight months. So they didn't have paychecks. They weren't working. They didn't even have stubs. But they did have a little lunch from a lad of five barley loaves and two small fish. A couple of the disciples may have Side, barley loaves, that's what poor people eat. Don't you have some crescent rolls or some crackling cornbread? Well, let's see what Jesus can do with these ingredients. He's a dynamic teacher and he's a wonder worker, but he's no chef. We'll see. And they had a bag of bread and fish and a whole lot of doubt, and sometimes that's what we have. We don't have very much to offer and so we have a whole lot of doubt what can be done with it. But if we can just put our faith and trust, put our confidence in Jesus, he can make so much out of so little. He, he's not going to ask you to do anything that he's not going to prepare you to do. He, he knows what we're capable of. He's not going to send you into a fire if you're not a firefighter. He, he knows what we can do. And so Jesus held the five barley loaves and two small fish in his hands, and he commanded the disciples in John 6 and 11. He said, I want you to make the men sit down. And so everyone was seated, and they were grouped into hundreds and fifties. And as the disciples counted, they realized the number of this great multitude was greater than they originally thought. And Jesus held up these barley loaves and fishes toward heaven and he gave thanks, not for what he wished he had, but for what he did have. And what would you think if Jesus came today and he carried all of us there back to the dining hall and there were two hamburgers and three hot dogs? Would, would we believe and have no doubt that he was able to multiply that small amount and feed all of us? 
Or would we doubt like the disciples did? And I wonder how many times we've doubted about things we needed in our life. And then here comes Jesus doing what he does best and providing for us. Before you enjoy your next meal, remember to give God thanks at mealtime. The head of each Jewish family looked up to heaven and gave thanks and distributed bread for the meal. One of the most common mealtime prayers in that day was, Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. So Jesus was here acting as a father of this whole crowd. That's a lot of kids to tend to. And his next act revealed that he was not just acting as their father, but Jesus was about to show this crowd that he was their heavenly father who truly brings forth bread. And he broke the bread and kept creating more and more to meet their needs. And then he gave this lunch to the disciples and told them to feed the crowd. And Jesus broke the bread while the disciples served it to everyone. And, you know, if you, I can almost hear the disciples' thoughts between the pages of the Bible they had to be questioning themselves. Is how long is this going to last? Are we going to get? Are we going to run out? Are there going to be people that won't eat and some that do? And because of that, they may have been a little sparingly when they first handed out. You know, the first few people that were able to get food may have not got very much because they thought that it would run out. And if it did, where would they get more? And so, when the disciples would return to Jesus, Jesus just kept handing them more bread. And more fish. And so the disciples served every family. And, and they would tell them, go ahead, take all you want. There's plenty of this where they come from. But it took Jesus continually providing the bread and the loaves for their faith begin, to begin to build. And we're just like that. I, I, I stand at the front of the line when I say my, my faith is sometimes weak and it takes me to see something. To believe, but that's not what God is asking of us. He's asking us to believe before he, he does anything. And each time that Jesus gave them more to give to the hungry, the crowd could hear Jesus' followers laugh, and they just could not believe what Jesus had done. After a long time of going from group to group, the disciples circled around uh, to the groups they had already served and made sure that everyone had enough. People shook their heads. They had to have been holding their stomachs and turning down food by the end of it. No one wanted any more because Jesus had fed the 5,000, including women, teenagers, and children, with a poor boy's bread and two small fish. And the disciples carried out 12 take-home baskets. I'm not intending to promote a, a movie here with this comment, but there is a series about the years of Jesus' ministry on earth entitled The Chosen. Uh, Jenny never spent any of her childhood years in Sunday school, so she missed all the Sunday school Bible stories that most of us knew and heard so many times. And uh, It was then that I realized and I took for granted uh, how blessed I was to be raised in an apostolic home. But, but we often did watch Bible stories, and again, I'm, I'm no means implying that everyone should do this. You do what God tells you to do, but she could understand it better. And when it was being played out in a visual sense, and 
one of those we watched was The Chosen. And one of the scenes of what we're teaching on this morning, and, uh, and I'm very aware when you watch or read something like this, you have to, as Pastor would say, you've got to eat the fish and, and leave the bones. But it does provoke some thought. Uh, in your mind when you watch something played out on a scene. And I, I'm not just sure how it happened, but, but Jesus in this particular scene, he had the disciples gather up the baskets and he, he was breaking the food into pieces and he puts a little in each basket. And these were not just little small baskets in this particular scene. They were, they were large-sized baskets, probably as big as around as a 55-gallon barrel and, and about half tall with lids. And so he places and puts each, each piece in, the, in a basket, a little piece. He prays over the food and he tells them to lift the lids. And then in the scene, as they lift the lids, the baskets are just brimming full. And the disciples begin handing out the food through the crowd. And you can see as they, they're handing it out and people are reaching, it never goes down. The basket stays full the whole time. And, and they wasn't sure how it happened, but at this point, it did happen. Something like that happened. And my Bible tells me he's the same yesterday, today, and he's going to be the same tomorrow. So if that's true, if that's true, and I believe it is, then why do we have so much trouble sometimes believing that he can do the same for us? And I'm not necessarily talking about Food. I'm talking about other needs in our life. He's still the same God. He's still on the throne. He's still king. And my prayer has been lately that, that God, I believe, but I'm asking you to help my unbelief. I, I want to believe and see greater things from God in these last days. And have you ever seen God do a miracle? And he had so little to start with. I have. We had times early on in our marriage that when we got finished paying bills, we didn't have enough left over for groceries. We barely had enough for gas money the next week to go back and forth. But somehow, we always had food on the table. Now, it may have been hamburger helper five nights a week, but, but we were full, and I like hamburger helper anyway. So, This miracle, it started when Andrew looked around to see what he could offer Jesus, but it would not have happened the way Scripture records if the boy had not been willing to give his lunch to Jesus. The multitude may not have enjoyed this miracle or seen this wonder that Jesus did, and they would have went home hungry. Surely God, he, he could have opened the heavens, and he could have poured down manna for the multitude like he did for the children of Israel in the wilderness. But see, God chooses to involve people in the process. Thankfully, there are people who choose to be available to God. I'm so thankful for people that choose to be available to God. I'm, I'm thankful that there was a Sunday school teacher when I was a child that chose to teach Sunday school. Where would I be today without that? I'm thankful that God chose to have a pastor and a first lady here. What would it be like to come here without a pastor? What would it be like? There are churches today that are going on right now that don't have a pastor. I've got a friend of mine in particularly. Uh, they just pick someone every, every Sunday morning to get up and say a little something. 
you may not know you're going to get picked. So that would tell me right there, I mean, I know we need to have a ready word. The scripture speaks to that, but aren't you glad there's people who choose to do this and they choose to study and they, they choose to put the time and effort in it and bring something that's, that's available? And so God, he could have opened up the heavens, but, and, and he can heal every one and he can heal every sickness with just one word. And we should be thankful that He chooses our prayers to make a difference. It builds our confidence when we can pray for someone and see them healed. And we have to realize how important it is to be available to God. Not just to do physical things, but be available to use our prayers, our faith and our fervor and our compassion to minister to people's needs. This world is hurting and I don't have to tell you we could talk till the sun went down of what a mess and what trouble this world is in. And people are hungry. They're searching for something to bring them peace. And we, we've got the peacemaker. We, we've got exactly what it'll take to take the fear and anxiety. And maybe God give you a raise or a bonus, not just so you could buy bigger, newer, nicer things. Maybe he give you that raise or bonus so you can help a missionary who've made themselves available to go to another country and to preach the gospel or to someone starting a church plan in a, in a city somewhere. But, and, and again, God, God can rain down money. He's got a better print and press than the U.S. government does. But he uses people's offerings. And he uses the generosity of others to meet the needs of people. And just as God used Andrew and this boy and, and these, these disciples, he, he wants to use us. The rumors were true that day that Jesus really did work miracles and everyone on that mountainside who witnessed what happened realized that Jesus was not just a man, but he, he was a miracle worker. He was a prophet and he might even be the Messiah, some thought. They got more animated and excited as... The minutes ticked away and Jesus, he, he knew their human nature and he even knew what people were thinking that they were about to crown him or pronounce that he would be their king and they had been waiting and praying for this Messiah to come and it appeared he had come. And some of the men cried out in John 6 and 14, this is of truth that prophet that should come into the world. He is the prophet and the prophets prophesied was coming. So the crowd's response made sense. Who, who would not want to crown Jesus king after what they just had witnessed? If Jesus can multiply bread and fish to feed a city, what else could he do? I mean, he could wage war with the Roman army and win. And they're willing to risk their lives to find out by crowning him king. They would have been signaling a revolt against Rome, but they were ready to, to send that revolt. They, they thought it was worth the risk. And they may have thought back to the scroll of Deuteronomy where the Lord had prophesied to Moses in Deuteronomy 18 and 18. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like unto thee and I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. 
They were right about the identity of Jesus Christ, but they were wrong about his mission. He wasn't flattered. He didn't come from heaven to earth just to set up a kingdom to lead a revolt against Rome. Luke so aptly recorded the mission statement of Jesus when he said in Luke 19 and 10, to seek and to save that which was lost. The true purpose of Jesus Christ was to save our souls. And that purpose has not changed from their day to ours. He's still seeking. He's still saving lost people. He can empty every hospital and fill every bank account. But he does not just want to give us more a comfortable life. He wants to bring us an eternal life. One day every crooked limb will be straight and every cancer will be healed. Every death will bow its knee to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But what will really matter on that day is that our souls are right with God. Every one of these men, women, and children in that multitude eventually died. And they died under Roman rule. But even the Roman rulers who governed them died as well. And their battle, is, their battle is still our battle. We don't fight Rome, but we do fight with sin. And therefore, we've got to realize the mission of Jesus Christ is to seek and save that which is lost. Think about this with me. I wonder how differently we would live our life if we constantly thought about eternity. Every minute of every day, all that you pondered and thought on was eternity. Do you think we'd live a more devoted life? you think we would pray more or study the Word of God more? Would we be more faithful to the house of the Lord and the things that, that take place at the church? If, if eternity was constantly on our mind, would you be more persistent about witnessing to your family and friends? And I'm here to tell you this morning, and I'm speaking to a crowd that knows this. Eternity's just around the corner. And I know it's been said since the inception of the church in the book of Acts, but it's, it's real and eternity is near. And the coming of Jesus Christ is quickly approaching. And not only do we need to make sure that we are ready, but we need to make sure that we're busy about our Father's business spreading this message of salvation. That's what he's called each and every one of us to do. And that don't have to be done from this pulpit. Every man and woman in this house has a testimony that they can tell and share the love of Jesus Christ because one day soon we're going to have the honor of crowning him as our king. But not just as a nation or a people, but we're going to crown him king of kings and lord of lords. According to Revelation, John wrote in Revelation 4 and 10, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things. And here's a key phrase in this scripture. Thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they were created. So you and I were created for the pleasure of God. We, we, we worship Jesus for who he is, not, not what he does. 
if our devotion hinges on Jesus working miracles for us, every time we make a request, he's not really Lord. And he will be disappointed and even delusioned. We, we will be disappointed and delusioned with God because he didn't do everything that we wanted. But if he is Lord, he can say yes to me. He can say no to me. He can say not yet to me. And I'll still worship him because of who he is. Not just for, not just for what he does. Jesus is Lord. Not, not us. When Jesus realized the people were going to try to take him by force and make him their king, he left the crowd as he instructed his disciples to board a boat. He would meet up with them after he climbed another mountain to pray. Perhaps as Jesus walked up that mountain, his mind looked ahead three years to a, another mountain that he would climb. The future mountain he knew he would climb since the day he was called into darkness. And he said, let there be light, and there was light. The mountain where he would call it into even deeper darkness, it is finished, and it would be. For years, precious few people knew what Larry Stewart really did for his city. Later, all of Kansas City knew him as their secret Santa. As the carolers began to sing, Larry bundled up his $100 bills and he gave them away in places like diners and laundromats as gifts to people he thought needed help for Christmas. But decades earlier, Larry was homeless and hungry. He strode into Houston, Mississippi and into a Dixie diner in 1971 and he ordered the biggest breakfast on the menu intending to sneak out before he paid the bill. But the owner of the diner, a man by the name of Ted Horn, had been running the diner long enough that he, he, he knew the signs and he knew this drifter in his diner was about to dine and then dash. So he walked up behind Larry and handed him a $20 bill and said, I think you dropped this. And that simple single act of kindness changed Larry's life. He moved on and started working. But for two years in a row, he lost his job right before Christmas. He was in a warm restaurant on a cold day wondering and worrying how he would make it when he noticed a car hop taking food to customers in their cars. And the customers was warm, but the car hop was freezing. And so for a moment, Larry forgot about his problems and his worries, and he gave the car hop as much change as he could do to help her. And she cried with kindness because it was enough to buy her a coat. Larry vowed that if he ever struck it rich, he would return the favor of Ted. Larry did strike it rich, and he did return Ted Horn's favor. And before Larry finished his battle with cancer, Kansas City Secret Santa gave away over $1 million to the poor and hungry at Christmas time. He even visited Ted, the owner of Dixie Diner, and gave him $10,000 because of Ted's kindness years early. Compassion for the hungry and hurting is what moved Larry to give away what belonged to him to bless someone else. Compassion for the hungry is what caused Jesus to stay with that multitude when he could have preferred to rest. He could have preached that day and when he was done, he could have 
left, got in a boat, walked up the mountain and left them there hungry. But it was his compassion for people. And compassion coupled with the power of God caused Jesus to multiply those five loaves and two small fishes to feed a city of hungry and hurting people. And nothing has changed. Jesus is still moved with compassion today towards us. And he was moved with compassion toward the people in John 6. And we may not need fishes and loaves today, but we do need healing. We do need forgiveness. We need salvation. We need deliverance. Whatever needs we bring to the hillside, Jesus is able to meet them. And he has all the power in heaven and earth and he's willing to meet our needs because he still provides. He still provides for his people when he is moved with compassion. Now you and I may not have the ability to to hand out $100 bills this morning to people that are in need. If you're able to do that, that's wonderful. But if not, don't let that discourage you because you and I have something far more valuable than $100 bills that we can give away. And that's this message that we can share with a a lost soul that will not only change their lives here on this earth, it's going to change their life in eternity. If not for being baptized in Jesus' name and being filled with the Holy Ghost, humanity would spend an eternity in hell. But thank God for His Holy Ghost and His water baptism that not only changes lives here on earth, it's going to make eternity be something that we can't even imagine. Our our minds can't even comprehend what heaven is going to be like. I just know that I, I want to go. I can't wait to go. I want my family to go. I want my loved ones to go. And I want all of you to go with me. Don't you want to go? Stand with me this morning. Let's pray and we're going to ask the Lord to not only strengthen and build our faith, but to help us be usable in His hands. Father, we love You this morning and we're thankful for the Spirit that resides here in this house with us. And I'm asking that You help us as individuals and as a congregation, Lord. Help us to increase our faith, strengthen our faith. Help us to be usable in your hands, Lord. Use us so that we can do a work for the kingdom, God, and remind us that we don't have to be something great. We just have to make ourselves available to you, and you'll do the rest. We thank you for that. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806. Or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.